0: We're going to continue today in this thought of in his service, um, serving in our giftedness. And today we want to focus our attention on discipleship. As you turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 18, we're going to look in verses 24 through 28. Verses 24 through 28. The book of Acts chapter 18. It's been said that during the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier. The leader was shouting instructions to them, but he was making no effort whatsoever to help. I imagine... Him just sitting up on his horse, you know when I say the american Revolution you would you wouldn't think there's vehicles, <laughs> so I imagine him on his horse just shouting instruction. Well, a man comes by in civilian clothes and he notices what the their leader is doing, and he asks. Why aren't you helping? And just arrogantly (laughs) and with great pride and great dignity, he says, I'm a corporal. It's not my job to help these soldiers. The man apologized, dismounted from his horse, and he proceeded to help these exhausted soldiers. Soldiers. Once the job was done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander in chief and I'll come help you again. This man in civilian clothes was none other than George Washington. I wonder. No, I don't. It seems that, that too often we see church acting more like the corporal than the commander-in-chief. Too often what we will do is stay away and gaze at a distance or we'll stand over young converts and we'll critique every move that they make. As they're beginning to walk in this newness of life, we want to see what they're doing. We have the tendency to stand back waiting for them to make a mistake or stand over them to criticize and pass judgment upon every effort that they make to be an active part of the church's ministry. They hear things like Have you been saved long enough to do that? What are you doing? You can't do that. We've never done anything like that before. Have you got the right approval? Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm talking about pastors in Baptist churches. They hear that. No, we actually stand over young converts with those things in mind, don't we? How much better would it be for young converts when the church acted more like the commander in chief? when we're willing to get off our high horse and help young converts grow and mature in Christ, not being worried about losing our position. You know, first, before we can help someone mature, we we must mature ourselves. (laughs) We have this misconception that, well, if I know the scripture and I can quote verses at, at will, then I'm a mature Christian. That doesn't make you a mature Christian. Uh, today's passage. What we'll see is a couple, a mature couple who the Apostle Paul had been discipling. They've now become disciple makers, and that is exactly what we're called to do according to Scripture. When we look in this passage in chapter eighteen, verse twenty-four, the Bible says, "Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born." At Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came from Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. And for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every heart that is assembled here today. We pray, God, that you would bless each home that's represented. And God, as you move and minister in lives, we we pray that if there's one with us who doesn't know you, Through your son, Jesus Christ, that today, God, the Holy Spirit would sit with them and commune with them and help them see their need for a savior and reveal that Jesus is the savior of the world. God, we pray that they would give their life to you this day. And God, we pray that we'll rejoice. We'll rejoice and be glad that we were in the house of God. Now, God, as we, in these next few moments, we pray for a fresh anointing. Fresh anointing upon myself, a fresh anointing upon this message. And God, we pray you hide me behind the cross and you speak forth to your people. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. For several weeks, we've been focused on serving in our giftedness. (laughs) Let me stop there. Yesterday I come out here. Yesterday morning I, I just saw Kylan and expression on his face, and I, it just come to mind. <laughs> uh, him and brother Mike was here, and, and we were talking. I was parked right here from this shelter, right by the road, and I noticed. I noticed the just how much our community loves our church. I noticed just what they thought of all the work that we've done here out front. And because somebody had came in and slid their vehicle and and made a rut and backed up and then drove on the side of the road again sometime this weekend. And uh, really trying to make a mess. You know, you know, it... You know, first thing in my mind, I'm thinking about how they had the audacity. You know, everybody that drove down this road knows there's been construction going on. And everybody beyond two hours old knows that grass don't grow to that thickness in two weeks. So whatever was done was done intentionally. (laughs) We were fixing it. And I I don't know how that rubs you guys, but it rubs me wrong. <laughs> and I, I caught myself saying, dis, giving a description of the person that done this. And I looked at Colin, and he's just looking at me like, "Are you really saying that?" <laughs> oh, we get it fixed, and we go on. And I caught myself, and where, brother, I called Brother Mike before he got too far out away, and he. And told him there was something that we might need. out I, I was putting those, trying to keep those uh, cones from falling over. <laughs> he said, I told Colin, you went back inside so you could repent. So he's okay. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, I had to repent once I heard that. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yes. So continue to pray for me. <laughs> We're in this together. Um, for several weeks, we have focused on serving in our giftedness. We've been sharing the importance of serving to fulfill the purposes of our church. Now, these purposes can be better understood if we remember them as the ministries of our church, because that's what they are. They're ministries of our church. And in our new members class, we shared that we expect our members to use their giftedness to serve in our church ministries. Now, for the past three weeks, we focused on serving in our worship, our missions, and our evangelism ministries. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question, Brother Marcus. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. While everyone may not have the giftedness to serve in worship, everyone who is a born-again Christian can worship. And while everyone is not called to serve as a missionary and everyone will not go on mission trips, we can support those who are gifted with this call in their life. and. And not only can we support them, but we can live our lives out on missions here on earth. Yeah. We do this in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our communities. We open our eyes and we, we stop missing the forest for the trees. We start seeing around where needs are and we, we have the gifts and we use our gifts and our abilities and our resources to help meet those needs. That's living a life on mission. And everybody might not be called to be an evangelist. But scripture teaches us that we all can do the work of an evangelist. In 2 Timothy 4 and 5, the Bible says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill the ministry. Well, how is that possible? If I'm not called to be an evangelist, how is it that I'm expected? To evangelize, well, the work of evangelists is simply to share the gospel, and it doesn't have to occur behind one of these. It doesn't have to occur in a foreign land. Uh, it occur. It can occur in homes. It can occur in small groups, neighborhoods, work, schools, convenience stores. It can. It can occur in malls and restaurants and and anywhere where there's someone who's lost. Evangelism can take place and the only gift you need to evangelize is that the Holy Spirit is alive and working in your life. Today we want to focus on the ministry of discipleship and we want to just focus on why this is important, why this is an important ministry of our church. Why is it important for each one of us to serve as disciple makers through our giftedness? Well, when the Apostle Paul, when he made his way to Corinth, he was alone. Silas and Timothy had remained in Macedonia to continue ministering the gospel. Soon after Paul arrived in Corinth, he he met a Jewish couple, Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They were of the same trade as Paul. And I would imagine Paul noticed them and started a conversation that, sur- that was surrounded this trade, this tent-making business that they had. But if Paul being Paul and what we know of him from Scripture, I also imagine that very soon the conversation turned to the gospel He uh, he got the talking with them, made them comfortable when he was able to relate with them about something that they'd done. And then he was able to share the gospel or or talk, have a gospel conversation with them. It appears from there, they invited Paul to lodge with them during his time in Corinth. So he accepted their offer and he worked along with them, making tents. Now it appears to me that Paul didn't just keep company with Aquila and Priscilla, but he discipled them as well. It seems that he helped them to not only know how to rightly divide the truth of the gospel, but they were able to understand the gospel in such a way that they were able to help others understand the gospel more clearly. So, what took place here is that the Apostle Paul sharpened Aquila and Priscilla. Discipleship is important because we all need to be sharpened. The Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. In Proverbs 27 and 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So we find that it is important. It is wise for us to sharpen one another. So when the apostle returned back to Antioch, he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. And there they encountered this certain Jew by the name of Apollos. Uh, To some reading this passage and reading the description of Apollos, you would wonder why would he need to be sharpened by uh, notice one how he is described not only is he from alexandria but he was an eloquent man he was mighty In the scriptures, in other words, he was a trained man, a formally trained man in the law and the prophets. He wasn't just trained in the law and the prophets, but he was trained in how to speak well. You know, you can be trained in how to speak. If I'd have known what I'm doing now, I wouldn't have been a a park and recreation major in school. I'd have been a I'd have been a communications major because I would be able to speak better having took those classes. Here, this man had been trained in how to speak clearly, how to speak passionately, how to speak well. And he was trained in the law and in the prophets. So the Bible says that he was fervent in spirit. In other words, he had a great zeal. He had a great passion for what he shared. I wonder sometimes if you understand that, that I'm not trying to be mean-spirited any time that I preach and that it's just passion overflowing. I'm assuming you understand that because I've been here for 18 years and you, have a, you haven't yelled at me about yelling at you, but you realize it's just passion over what's being shared. Yes. Yes. And here, Apollos had this kind of passion. So we may wonder, Why would he need to be sharpened? This man's well-trained. And here's a, a couple who have just become believers. And now they're sharing the gospel. And they have the audacity to share with a trained man the gospel. Well, it's simple. It's simple in why he needed to be sharpened. His understanding of the scriptures only went so far. He was missing a lot as it pertained to the truth of the gospel. Verse 25 says that he only knew the baptism of John. So he didn't know the whole gospel story. And with with his knowledge and his skill set and all the potential and promise that he had, Apollos still needed to be sharpened with the truth of the gospel. He needed to know more than than John's message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He needed to know more than John's message that the promised Messiah was coming. He needed to know that the promised Messiah had already come. He needed to know more than the one who was preferred before who was who come after him was preferred before him. In other words, Apollos he needed to be sharpened. He he needed, as the late Paul Harvey would have said, the rest of the story. So Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos aside. They explained the way of God more accurately. It would be it would seem that they told him that the Messiah that he was preaching about had already come. The one that, that that he was telling them would come, he's already been here and he's left and indeed he will come again. Uh, I imagine they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was from the lineage of David and, and he while on earth performed many miracles. He taught in the temple and in synagogues, but the, the religious leaders led the Jewish people to turn against him. So they beat him. They spat upon him. They mocked him. They pulled hair out of his face. They pressed down a crown of thorns upon his head. They they marched him up Galgotha's hill as he was carrying his own cross. He was They crucified him, placed him in a barred tomb. But on the third day, thanks be to God, but on the third day he rose from the grave. The religious leaders didn't tell him this same Jesus remained on earth for 40 days, revealing himself to others so there would be enough witness that they could change the world. He didn't didn't tell they didn't tell him that he had ascended back to the Father and ten days later he poured his spirit upon man and that they would speak in tongues so the world would know that something had happened to these boys. Apollos needed to be discipled. He needed to be sharpened. You know we all need to be sharpened. So let me ask, who are you using your gifts to sharpen? Come on. on whom are you using your gifts to sharpen? Who are you helping to become a disciple? And, you know, the, preacher, I don't know what to do. There are many ways to do this. We can serve using our gifts to teach. And we, we can use more teachers in our Sunday school. Uh, You can befriend a new convert, pull him aside or her aside and and help them learn how to pray. Helping them to understand that prayer is conversational and and that when we pray it's a conversation between God and us and our words should flow from our heart and not from vain repetition. We can help them learn how to study the Bible that we don't just study to gain information but we study to hear what God's saying to us. We can help them understand the importance of of a consistent devotional life. Our devotional life helps us keep first things first. It's when we keep God first that everything else will fall into place. Too often ministry becomes an idol to Christians because we're more concerned about being at the church, more concerned about doing for the church than we are about spending time with the God who created the church. So let me ask, well, you know what? We could also become an accountability partner for someone else, but we need one ourselves. (laughs) We all stumble and we all fall short of God's standards. And that's why it's good that every Christian would have an accountability partner. We all need someone in our lives who can be trusted and who is concerned most of our relationship with God. That they're more concerned with that than telling us what we want to hear. Amen. Hmm. So let me ask those of you here who have had someone pour into your life. Who are you pouring into? Well, preacher, no one poured into my life. I got it myself. Well, well, well I'm so sorry. So sorry you had to go through that. Don't put no one else through that. Pour into someone else's life. Who are you helping to understand better what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Who are you helping to grow maturing their faith? Who? Who are you sharpening? Yes, it's discipleship is important. Not only because we all need to be sharpened. And we all need to be sharpened. Preacher, I've been saved for 60 years. It don't matter. You need to be sharpened. I got saved as a child. And now I'm a senior adult. And and I've been in church all my life. I've been active. And I've been faithful. But you still need to be sharpened. (laughs) Apollos was skilled. Eloquent. Mighty in the scriptures. And he still needed to be sharpened. Yes, Yes, we all need to be sharpened. But we also need to fasten our lives together. What do I mean by that? Well, as Christians, we should be in relationship with one another. I'm not going to preach on this. I'm going to chase this rabbit. (laughs) and I'm going to get off of it as quick as I can. But you know, everything here on this earth is temporary except our relationship as brothers and sisters. Your relationship to your children is temporary. Your relationship to your spouse is temporary. Your relationship to your mother and father is temporary. All of that's temporary. Because when we leave this world, that relationship won't be, it won't exist. Well, the Bible says I'll be known as I'm known. Yes, you will as God knows you. My flesh wants to say I'm going to know Iola as my wife and I'm going to know Taylor as my daughter, but that's not the way it works. I remember Jesus saying to his disciples when they said, hey, your mother's here and your your brother's here. And he said, what mother? What brother? You are my mother. You are my brothers. In other words, our relationship when we get to heaven is as brothers and sisters. We're going to be known as God knows us. We're his children. So listen, don't don't Play on the emotions. Don't listen to a preacher who will play on the emotions at a funeral. If you want to see mama again, you need to get saved. Listen, we don't get saved because we want to see mama. We get saved because Jesus died for our sins and and made a way for us to escape a demon's hell. And we can now be with him for all eternity. That's why we get saved. Listen, our marriage here on earth... It's to be an example of Christ's marriage to the church. And when we leave here, all that's going to matter is he is the husbandman and we are his bride. No marriage in heaven is going to trump that. And no marriage on earth is going to heaven. There's giving in. There's marriage and giving in to marriage during the millennial reign. But not in heaven. You'll never find it in scripture. Now, let me get off that rabbit. (laughs) We should be, because of that, because of everything I've just shared, we should be in relationship with one another. (laughs) Those of us who've been born again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and what binds us and ties us together as a family is not our blood, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's our faith in him, our confession of him as our Lord. Because of this, we have the same Holy Spirit living within us. And regardless of what side of the street we, we come from, regardless of what our last name is, regardless of the color of our skin, if we've been saved, we are spiritually reborn into the family of God therefore we are to love one another and if we love one another we will fasten our lives together you know you know what went to my mind when this Miss Regina was making the announcement I'm preaching to the choir today you know they're already starting to do this they're wanting to have a, a gathering of the women together so that you can get to know one another Notice here in scripture that when Aquila and Priscilla heard Apollos speak, they knew his message was incomplete. The Bible tells us that they took him aside and at that point they were determined to fasten their lives with him. They had no desire to berate him. They had no desire to humiliate him. And by taking him aside, this could have meant that they took him to where they were staying. Maybe they invited him to stay with them for a while. Maybe they provided a meal with him. But whatever they did, it seems that they provided an atmosphere to where he could feel safe and cared for. Remember now, he's an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. And this couple has the audacity. To try to correct him. A formally. Formal. A formally trained man. He had been to school for this. (laughs) In other words. He had been taught by the greatest of teachers. He like Paul. You know Paul was formally trained in in the law and in the prophets. So was Apollos. But they provided a safe place where they could share with him and he could receive instruction. They fastened their lives to him and he listened as they shared the truth of the gospel. Well, preacher and so-and-so just won't listen to me. What kind of relationship do you have with them? That's got to be the first question. How did you approach them? Uh, Did you approach them condescendingly or did you approach them with a genuineness of heart? You know their lives became so fastened that when Apollos left that they wrote a letter to the other disciples encouraging them to receive him and the message that he would now preach. They, he had a successful ministry because Aquila and Priscilla became disciple makers and they fastened their life to Apollos. Most of you, you, you already know this when I was at Campbell, at their Divinity School my first, my first semester, I ate lunch by myself every day of class. I either drove to Lillington, and I sat in a Subway or a Bojangles, or I got it, and I drove back to campus, sat in the parking lot, in my vehicle, and I ate. Now, I, you'll never catch me in Robinson County eating in a restaurant by myself unless the person I went there with got up and abruptly left and I hadn't finished. I don't do that. I did it enough that semester. I'd rather eat driving than to sit down in a restaurant by myself. As a matter of fact, halfway through my second semester, it was the same thing. I'm in divinity school. I hadn't been asked to lunch by no one. And I can't say nothing because I didn't ask anyone to lunch either. Halfway through, I made up my mind. I determined I'm not coming back. I'll finish this semester. I'm not coming back. I'll I'll find something online. And I knew if I did that, I'd never finish. I wouldn't have a master's degree today. And it seems like <laughs> the very next class session, the next day I had class, this man that I had never met was in this class with me and he approached me and he asked me to lunch. He said, I, I think we might know someone in common. I'm looking at him and thinking, man, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. I have no idea who we would know in common. I couldn't even tell you at the time what race he was. I, I couldn't tell. I'm sure he couldn't tell with me either. But it was Mark Fields. The person that we had in common, that we knew in common, was Reverend Mike and Ms. Quade Cummings. Mark was from Ms. Quade's area. He grew up in the same church she was raised in, and he was in their wedding. So from that point forth, this preacher from Benson Pentecostal Holiness Church and myself, we fastened our lives together. We ate lunch together. We studied together. we done research together. The only things that I knew we had in common was that we both loved the gospel ministry and we both loved the Lord. I mean, we we were different. There were a lot of things different about us. The only other thing that I knew uh, shortly after meeting him that we had in common, we were the only two Native Americans in the divinity school. But there were some differences about us. He's Kahari. I'm Lumby. Oh, in case you didn't know it, that matters. In some people's eyes, that matters. Uh, he grew up in Sampson County. I grew up in Robinson County. He's three years older than I am, but I'm the one with white hair. He's, he's a UNC graduate, and I barely got through Pembroke. He was a teacher by trade. I was a construction worker by trade. He taught physics and I, don't, I can't tell you what physics is. He loves football. I love baseball. But we poured into each other's lives. And we still do today. I bet you there, there weren't five weeks that went by in 2022. And there hasn't been but maybe one in 2023 where we haven't taught multiple times. Often, Iola will tell you, she can tell you, often I'm coming in the house when I'm finally getting home from work and I've got the speakerphone on and it's Mark on the other end. He's a type A personality and I'm anything but. But we pour into each other's lives. He's preached here, I've preached where he's at. And we're still pouring in each other's life. I don't know where I'd be. I don't know if I'd still be here if I didn't have someone like him pouring into my life. How many of us, really, how many of us have, we, have fastened our lives together for the purpose of instructing and encouraging each other? Personally, I, I believe we have an excellent Sunday school here. I think we have excellent Sunday school teachers. But we can use more. We can use more teachers. Teaching the scriptures is a major part of Sunday school, but that shouldn't be all that Sunday school is. Stay with me here. If that's all it is, then we're not fastening our lives together if we're only meeting for 45 minutes to an hour once a week just to learn history from scripture. We need to be learning how to apply the scripture and to live out the scriptures together. So the real question is, how much are you doing outside of Sunday morning's meetings? Our Sunday school classes should be a time of fellowship together to really get to know one another where we, get to, where we take time in someone's home or in a restaurant and we have a meal over gospel conversation. If you're having a meal and you're just laughing and shooting the breeze, it's just a social hour. I'm talking about having a meal over gospel conversation, yes. really intentionally trying to disciple one another. I wonder how often is our Sunday school classes taking time to do missions together? What do you mean, preacher? Maybe maybe, just maybe. You know, it's OK. You got my permission. If it's not, if the deacons are upset, then let me know about it. Just let me know about it. I might not be able to fix it, but I can leave if they they don't want to agree with me. Because this is important. This is a hill I'm willing to live and die on. You don't have to do Sunday school in this building. You can go to a a nursing home, a facility where some of our shut-ins are out. you go to someone's home and do Sunday school there. I would encourage you, go a little early. It don't have to start at 10. Go at 9.30. Go at a quarter till. Meet there. Take the bus if you need to. Meet there. Have Sunday school. Bless their hearts and you receive a blessing. And Come back and let's worship together. That's missions together. Sunday school classes should be evangelizing together. Go together to someone who come to your class who doesn't know the Lord and have not been in a while. Go to their home and, and just have a gospel conversation with them or just meet together to, to, to go to homes of people who are that you're concerned about or your Sunday school class is concerned about. Yes. It's easier to do with a little group than it is with one by themselves. Amen. So just join together and do it. Do life together. Sunday school classes should plan nights of worship together, whether it's going to another church for their worship service or going to a singing or going to a concert or to a drama fest. There should be some way that you get together, that you enjoy each other's company enough that you want to go worship together. Our youth did it just a couple weeks ago and there were some other ladies who got together and they went along with them. Listen, folks, we, we need to do life together Amen. if we want to make an impact yes. in this community and to anyone who comes to visit with us. You know, what I keep hearing about is Reedy Branch has an active kids department, kids ministry. They're youth, they're, they're active. And I thank God that they're active. What if they what if what if what we were hearing, man, the adults at Reedy Branch, they're setting the standard for our kids and our students and our preschool ministry because they're doing life together. They're active together. You see them out at Sunday school classes together. You see them out in small groups together. You see them together. And what that does is shows the student ministry and the kids' ministry and the preschool ministry, the importance. That's why they've got a strong preschool ministry. That's why they've got a strong student ministry, a strong kids' ministry because they're seeing what the adults are exampling. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know, if, the reason things like that are important because if you're doing those things, then you're discipling one another. Yes. And you'll find yourself becoming vulnerable with each other. And you'll share concerns and struggles with each other. And you'll take time to truly pray with each other. And you'll fasten your lives together. And you'll become disciple makers. Matthew 28. 1820. Jesus said. All authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe All things that I have commanded you. And lo, listen, you don't have to go by yourself. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What age? The church age. He's with us till this church age ends. And when the church age ends, those of us who know him as Lord and Savior will be with him. It won't be so much that he's with us. We'll be with him at that point. Our faith will turn to sight. And he ends that with amen. In other words, bank on it. Bank on it. You know, we've all been called to be disciple makers. We are to sharpen each other. And we will do that if we fasten our lives together. But for this to happen, you must be born again. Free. <laughs> the Bible says iron sharpens iron. If you're unsaved, a saved man can't sharpen you. A saved man can evangelize you. And it's once you become saved, then we can sharpen you. You first must become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You must believe in him and confess him with your mouth. Today, you can become a follower of Jesus. And through the gifts in this church, I pray that we would help you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ so you can reach your full kingdom potential so that you can help us accomplish the ministries that God has called us as a church to fulfill. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As they come to prepare this song of invitation. Folks, now is the time to really commit to the Lord that you're going to, that we, <laughs> you, that we are going to do more together. That we'll find a way, whether it's once a month, once a quarter once a week that we'll find ways to do more together than we've ever done. I pray that in 2023, we got nine more months and another week and a half, we, we can do so much more. I pray that God would use us to speak to this lost Community and the communities that we live in. You know, with pride, they ask me where I stay. Man, we never see you. I'm always in Fairmont. I'm able to say that because this is where I want to spend my life, doing ministry. My prayer is that God would lead me here to do ministry with you. So let us do ministry together. And you who are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've wandered away and you find you're far away from him. Or today would be a good day to confess to him That he is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is the son of the living God. That he gave his life to ransom the world. He paid the penalty of sin. He arose from the grave to give us victory. And he's back with the father. Pleading our case and preparing to come and receive us unto Himself. And today I receive Him as my Savior. You know, if you believe this in your heart and you're willing to confess this with your mouth, why don't you come and tell me that the Lord has saved you? You know, as they begin singing and as you're coming, we're going to pray. As you're coming, we're going to pray that God's Spirit would empower you, release you to come and just share with us that Jesus is your Savior.